Can I, you don't have to stand, Jamie. You got a you got a gimp foot there, but appreciate you guys. Thanks for being here today. Some friends we've gotten to know. He's from the West Bank. Those of you guys who are from the West Bank, y'all have mercy on him. The rest of us just feel sorry for y'all. Uh, it's true. Well, this morning we're going to look in Galatians chapter five. We'll spend most of our time there. And we're continuing in our series on tuning in to the Spirit. And let me put my radio back up here. Trying to help us to appreciate something about receiving from the ministry of the Spirit. Now remember, we're not just trying to learn more about the Spirit. We're not just trying to get more details on the theology of the Holy Spirit. Uh, A lot of us have that. But yet there is still a significant disconnect between what we are experiencing of who God has sent us in the Holy Spirit. And then it kind of hit me this morning as we were praying for the service early this morning. You know, God, God has sent some things to humanity that it matters to him that we receive them, fully receive them, right? When we come to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we kind of, you know, we put a bunch of stuff up here we're hoping to move our way through, it's almost as though there's dimensions of the Spirit that we kind of get okay with not necessarily being on board with. We will kind of be okay with several, but we're really not going after a bunch of them. Now, how would it sound to you if we were like okay with some of the things that Jesus did, but just really not all that into all that he did? Right? We're really kind of into this, the social dynamic of what Jesus did. He came to the earth, and he got involved with people suffering, and he made a difference, and he fed people that that needed to be fed, and he healed people that were sick in their bodies. Man, I'm so into that. That is just so important to me. But, you know, that, that whole redemption thing, that shedding blood on the cross, you know, I mean, I, I know God sent him to do that, you know, but that's just not an area that I tune into a whole lot. But, man, I just, I think Jesus is a great figure. He's an important historic person. How many of you guys would recognize that's a real problem, isn't it? We don't get to pick and choose how we want to receive what the sovereign, wise, almighty God has given to us. And when he gives us the Holy Spirit, we don't get to pick and choose that either. All right, so when we kind of look at these experiences of the Spirit, you know, as a church and as a people of God, we, we, don't, want to, we don't want to tune out any of this. We want to learn how to tune in and receive in all these categories, right? And so I, I put this up here again for us to get in touch with the fact that we're coming to this topic with our three presets. And you can look through that list and you can say, yeah, there's like three categories there that, that I pay attention to. I monitor that in my life. And I make sure I go after those things. And there's a bunch that I just don't listen to that radio station. I just don't like that style of music. It just doesn't appeal to me. I, I'm kind of into this and this and this. Okay, well, unlike the illustration, God is not a radio station. He's not Piccadilly Cafeteria. We don't get to turn our nose up when we get to the turnips and the you know, green beans. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't do green beans. This is the Holy Spirit. All right, now we're going to come to a very famous verse today in Galatians chapter 5. For many of us, we know this verse, whether we even knew where it came from. We know this verse as the fruit of the Spirit verse, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I think when you come to list about the Holy Spirit, you might want to not be so conclusive. Sometimes we think, okay, that's the nine fruit of the Spirit. I'm not sure that verse is given to where there's not ten or eleven right here. Such things as these. But we know this verse. Sometimes we know it in isolation. And I think we're going to get some help today from the context to help us tune into receiving and experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. What we don't want to have in our lives is just a great memory verse. We can list all nine. We know that there's something called love, and we know there's something in that verse called joy, and there's something by the Spirit called peace. Well, you know, that that doesn't matter that you just know about it. What matters is whether it's real to you whether you've experienced it, whether you've tasted it, whether you can tell me last week what the juicy bite of love and joy that you experienced by the Holy Spirit, what was that like yesterday? Peace by the Spirit. Right? I mean, this is not intended for us to have Sunday school lessons and children's church songs built out of these things. It's intended for us to be all the years of our lives, growing in the depth of experiencing these things. Right, there's some of us here that would, that would really pay an awful lot. As a matter of fact, we are paying an awful lot. We just don't realize what we're trying to purchase to have some real joy in our lives. Some of us would go to some real extremes. And if you think about it, some of us are going to some real extremes, extreme behavior. Extreme sacrifice, extreme interest in what other people think, extreme ambition for some achievement. What are you after? Because you're really kind of not after the people and you're not really after the achievement. You're after the fruit of those things, right? You want the joy that might come from achieving that and from being something. Right? So we want, these are important things to us. These are, these are rich words, aren't they? Don't you really want to experience this stuff? you want to experience love? Hey, let the people around you stop loving you and you find out how interested you are in really experiencing love, don't you? Start feeling like nobody cares about you. You're all alone. And see what a price tag you put on love. Walk through your life and, and how valuable is it for you to have joy and peace? If I could guarantee you right now, for the rest of your life, I've got this one thing. If you just, you just come get it from me. This one thing for the rest of your life will deliver joy and peace for the rest of your life, into your life. And when you think about it, is there anything you wouldn't pay to have that? You can have door number two. You can have a different life, all this other stuff, all these achievements. Your name is going to be great, but, but, but you're not going to have joy and peace. Oh, you're going to have it just every once in a while for a brief moment. It's going to fleet and go away. Wouldn't you rather have joy and peace no matter what it costs you, you'd want that? How about this for a question? Which would you rather be a part of? A church filled with prophecy and tongues or a church filled with joy and peace? 
Now, I just asked you a question that you should be irritated that I asked you that question. If you're paying attention to this series, you ought to be going, what the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> Keith, since when did you have the privilege to choose one or the other? All right, now that question, if that question didn't do that to you, you're still drinking the wrong stuff. Right, you don't have permission to say, we're going to be a church dynamic in the spirit, and we're going to have tongues and prophecy and, and some of the people are going to look like they've just been sucking lemons when they come to fellowship together. you got no joy in their life. Right? I, mean, I, would, I mean, honestly, got incredible prophetic words taking place, maybe some miracles scattered among us. But when you gather together and you fellowship with one another, there's, there's not joy. There's no peace occupying people's lives. Would, would you really want that? Would you go out in the front door and say, hey, hey, the spirit is moving in my church, man. Is that what you'd say? Really? It's moving without joy and peace. Really? That's how it moves. Hmm. On the other hand, would you say, oh, we've we, we got joy, we've got peace, but we've got no prophecy, we've got no gifts. Hey, listen, you and I don't get to pick a dilly God. I would dare say that these things are related to one another in God. And so there's a way in which one functions to create the other, and one functions and then creates the other. God, God's at work in all this stuff. In the same way, you don't get to Piccadilly Jesus and say, which part of him that you like and you leave other parts. You don't get to do that to the Holy Spirit. And so we have this great verse, question, where, where, where does this fruit come from? Are we talking about just polished up moral effort? Because some of this stuff is, is human behavior, right? Gentleness and kindness, right? You've got people that are kind, faithfulness, people that are faithful. You know, is, is this just you ramping up to be the best you you can possibly be? That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Well, I mean, it gives it away a little bit, the fruit of the Spirit. Not that you and I aren't capable of expressing some of this and experiencing some of it. Right? It's not as though the only people who have any gentleness about them are those who are full of the Holy Spirit. I've met lost people who are gentle. I've met lost people who are kind. Right? So let's, 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 let's not act as though this is not possible outside of people who are regenerated and empowered by the Spirit. But the Bible puts an emphasis on this stuff existing in our life by the Spirit by the Spirit. So this is coming to us by the Spirit. Look, look at these Bible verses here. We'll just look at them real quickly. Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I, I, I think it's appropriate for me to ask this. I know this, this kind of question bugs people and it haunts them a little bit when they leave here. So don't over-digest this. But do you feel the love of God in your life? And listen, I know that freaks some people out. I get questions after, after presenting something like that where people say, well, you know, I, I, Keith, I don't. And does that mean I'm not saved? And it just turns them into this turmoil thing. Uh, well, it could mean that you're not saved. It, it could also mean that you, you've tuned out. You've tuned out. You don't avail yourself of the Spirit's communication to you. You don't know what it sounds like or feels like to be on the receiving end by faith of the love of God. 
making an impact in your life. I mean, can you sit here today amidst all the weaknesses of your life, all your problems, and say, I know I am loved deeply by God. I feel God's affection in my life. Now, what if you're here and you're going to say, honestly, Keith, not really. Do you know how important it is for you to feel the love of God in your life? Can you imagine what you're going to do if you don't feel the love of God? What's going to motivate you? What dry desert you're living in that is making you act nuts around other people? Right, you might as well get out your big extraction tube and everybody you walk up to, just jack it in them and suck the love out of them. Jack it in this one, suck the love out of them. People around you must feel drained because you're not getting from God what you need to know you're getting. Right? It doesn't help me to know that there's a gas station when I run out of gas. What helps me is when I get filled up by gas, when I pull in and receive. I'm going to receive the love of God. Romans 15, 13. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And when you start reading the Bible and and you're intentional about noticing fruit of the Spirit, you'll notice it outside of Galatians 5. Shocking, isn't it? But all the fruit of the Spirit is all right there in Galatians 5. No, no, it's all over the place. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you and I abound in hope as a result of joy and peace operating in our lives? By the Holy Spirit. This passage, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. Having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I love what this verse begins to take us. It takes us into the realm of... Uh, a hostile environment, a non-conducive natural setting where joy is being experienced. Right? You received in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You were in tribulation but experiencing the joy of the Holy Spirit. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, beatings, imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. And then listen to this list. In purity. I think we're kind of into some realm of fruit and gifts here. Watch. Purity, knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. I remember a little bit later in 2 Corinthians, Paul's going to go on to say, but in the weapons of our warfare, they're not fleshly weapons. They're not natural weapons, but they are divinely empowered for the pulling down of strongholds. So, So there's this invisible divine operation by the Holy Spirit producing in us this fruit of the Spirit. So that's, that's the source here. Right? So we have the Holy Spirit broadcasting fruit to us. Now, our challenge is to dial in, to figure out, okay, God, you are broadcasting love. You are broadcasting joy. You are broadcasting peace. And you're doing it in a way that's not dependent upon my setting and my circumstances. I can be in distress 
in trouble, in labors. Life can be hard. Life can be scary. Life can be inconvenient. And the Holy Spirit's broadcast can reach me. And I can receive joy. And I can receive peace. All right, you understand why the Bible makes this sound as though that's mind-blowing. That freaks people out. Your life should be making you pull your hair out. You should be a scared dude running from one thing to the next. You should look so preoccupied, but yet they get around the people of God and they see a people who are at peace. At peace when I shouldn't be. Right? That's the peace that passes understanding. A peace that doesn't make sense. But yet, when it's explained to us that the peace is the fruit of the Spirit, now it does make sense, right? Because it's like I've got this hidden internal pipeline that the Spirit of God provides peace to me that's not based in my circumstances. I don't borrow the peace from favorable settings. I get the peace invisibly by the Holy Spirit, and I want to learn how to receive that in my life. So let's look at some context here, see if we can learn how to receive from the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Now, remember Galatians. We were in Galatians last week, Galatians chapter 3. There, there's a problem in Galatia. That we'll see here as we read these passages. And Paul goes to fix the problem, and he says this, remember? Let me ask you only this. You guys have got a problem. There's a discrepancy in your walk with God. Let me ask you only this. Let me go back to the beginning and let's reestablish how God is postured towards you. Did you receive the Spirit by your effort and works of the law or by hearing with faith, like Abraham did? Right? Remember that? Remember our Abraham equation? Unrighteous individuals plus the mercy and grace of God equals God's purpose in election. That purpose is going to continue. God's purpose in election will always continue. Once you become part of God's purpose in election, there's a favor upon your life. Why did that favor get there? Because you warmed God up to giving it to you? Because there was something appealing in you? Right, I love when John stood up here and, and said, can anything good come from Metairie? And you, had to, you had to kind of pause for a second there, didn't it? Wait, 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 that, this, this good people who live in Metairie, there's none good. No, not one. There's none righteous. Not one, the Bible says. So does God warm up to anybody because God, some people provide warmth to him? No, it's none righteous. So how does this favor get upon your life? By the mercy of God. And if it was mercy from the beginning, it's mercy right now. What does that mean to you right now? Well, it means this morning if you're here and you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. You don't have to create the warmth for God to move in your life in order for His grace to give you the fruit of the Spirit. The hand of God's favor is upon your life. If you belong to God, His favor is upon your life. Be careful, Galatians. Don't start by the Spirit and end up in the flesh. Don't change the rules once you get in. Don't start by God deciding He will be merciful to whom He will be merciful, and He will keep on being merciful to you because that's how election continues. And then you change the rules and say, well, listen, I understand God would be merciful to me when I was a blaspheming sinner, but now that I'm a struggling child of God, I can't understand why He won't be merciful to me unless I put up some bucks and perform. 
Well, that's the issue that the Galatians are bumping into. That's what they've created. So look at the context here. This is the context for a discussion on the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Right? The yoke of slavery that Paul's referring to was teaching by Judaizers who believed in Christ. They believed in the person of Christ and his fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah who would come. But they see there's just this one little thing that if you're going to be a believer, you just got to do this one little thing extra. You got to be circumcised. See, because we see circumcision in the Old Testament. That's what identifies the people of God. And so, yeah, you're coming to faith in Christ, but you need to be circumcised. And so they, they, they brought with them a ceremony, a tradition, a sacrament. Can I mess with your world for a minute? They brought with them a sacrament. They brought with them a Jewish sacrament. And they said, you got to have that too. And Paul said, no, no, no. That's a yoke of slavery. And he just had taught on what slavery was. Slavery was human effort that could never arrive at perfection. That was the slavery he was describing. It was, the, it was trying to use the law unlawfully. Right? God gave the law in order to show us our imperfection and our need for his mercy. Man took the law and used it inappropriately. Right? The, the problem is not the law. The problem is the inappropriate use of the law. You cannot hate part of the Bible because somebody taught you poorly in that. The problem is not the law. It's the inappropriate use of the law. It's, it's taking a billboard sign that declares my unrighteousness pulling it down, setting it up like something I can now climb on and reach God. I can now get my way to God. And for them, circumcision was part of the rung of the ladder. It would move you up just far enough to make sure you were really in. <clears throat> Paul said, that destroys the gospel. So that little thing, you're just adding a little thing here. Okay, listen, Paul's freaking out to the Galatians was not because they had abandoned Christ. They'd abandoned the idea that God sent his son and the person of the Messiah to die in their place. They didn't abandon that. They just added a little bit to it. And Paul went berserk on them. And this is why. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You might still think you have Christ, but now he's a zero. He means nothing. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Once you want to make this thing on the basis of any of your effort, now it's got to be all on your effort. You're either going to get in 100% because of Christ or 100% because of you. But you won't get 99% Christ and 1% you. That, that equation doesn't work. Right? You, ever, you ever divide by zero on your calculator? That little ERR thing? The error message, you, you can't divide by zero, right? In the math world, that's impossible. In the world of grace, that's impossible. Any kind of sticking in any human effort into the equation gives an error message. You end up with something that doesn't work. And that's what Paul's trying to explain here. This is the error message. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away 
from grace. How many of y'all have ever have heard that term terribly misused? Isn't it amazing? Paul's trying to correct an emphasis on behavior, and people in the church use that verse about behavior. Somebody whose life has become, you know, less than attractive as a Christian, it's deteriorating, getting worse, and, and people use it to describe that person's fallen from grace. Here, fallen from grace means you have put the emphasis on human effort before God. And if you're going to make that the basis, well, then now here, have the whole law, perform the whole law 100% completely, and you can get in. That's what the law is supposed to teach you. Because once you try it for a little while, you'll become quickly convinced, I can't do this. All right, well, then don't try the 1% thing either. It's insulting to God. You've fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Right? Neither circumcision. Now, a bunch of us here have not been tempted to get run out and get circumcised lately. Um, but, but we've got other issues floating around here. All right? So neither circumcision nor confession nor mass, nor holy days of obligation. But you understand, that's the culture we live in. That's what Paul would have been going berserk over today in New Orleans. Human effort in the form of religious practices that are being installed into God saving us. And this is the, the context here that's being brought up. Now, here's the problem. Let me stay with my math equations here. You have an equation that leads to salvation that looks like this. You have the grace of God plus faith that receives the grace of God equals salvation. And in that salvation, a life changes and works begin to occur. All right? that's, that's, the, that's the biblical equation for salvation. Now, when you take works and you pull it out of this side of the equal sign and you stick it in on this side of the equal sign and you say grace plus faith plus something you do equals salvation. Once you do that, you've screwed the formula up. That equation can no longer save you. Does that make sense? I know some of y'all hated math and I'm sorry to do that to you, but... Sometimes you've got to remember what plus signs and equal signs are about. But the context here is not a life void of activity. It's trying to correct the improper understanding of human activity. Right? I'm getting back to my point here of how to, how to adjust the knobs here. How to adjust my ability to receive the fruit of the Spirit in my life. This, this is not an argument that for a Christian, there must be no activity on your part. If you're a Christian, you must be certain that you don't do anything as a Christian. Otherwise, you're not really saved. <laughs> no. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace, right here, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. But if you keep reading, it goes on and says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. 
So is there works involved in the Christian life? Yes, it's just on the other side of the equal sign. It's on the other side of salvation. It's, it's a proclamation of salvation. It's a demonstration of the reality of salvation. Remember we said a few weeks ago, when God regenerates us, the Spirit blows upon our lives. That blowing of the Spirit creates movement in us. It's going to bend me over. You're going to see the effect of the Spirit in my life. I don't bend in order to get saved. right? I don't hear about Jesus Christ and put faith and then bend with all my effort and my might so God will... God, am I I been enough for you to save me now? No, I'm on the other side of the equal sign. The grace of God has come to me in the person and work of Christ who's accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished on my behalf. And then by faith, I, I simply receive what he's done by faith. And the wind of the Spirit is blowing upon my life, and I begin to be a different person. I change shape. Works begin to occur. Now, why is that important? Because in this context, Paul's trying to correct their emphasis on works, but then he turns around and puts an emphasis on activity for the Christian. He's trying to get us to tune in to receiving here, and you're going to have to do something to tune in. All right, look at this thought. I think I put this thought in the end. I didn't put it. Well, you don't have an outline today. That's why you don't have this. In an attempt to protect justification by faith alone, critical, vital, important doctrine, cornerstone doctrine of the Christian faith, we can sometimes jettison works, any kind of human activity, from our lives completely and thus turn all the Christian life into passiveness. This may not be everybody, but it is some. We want to make sure we protect the fact that we're not installing our work and efforts into the equation of salvation. So therefore, we just become these sort of passive people, the hyperextension of just, just don't, don't do, just let God, do. let go and let God, just let God do. And next thing you know, we, we just, we're just not in touch with doing anything. Right? This is common. Look at this thought from Wayne Grudem. I think that evangelicals today are generally afraid of teaching about pleasing God by obedience for fear of sounding as if they disagree with justification by faith alone. But when the need to please God by obedience is neglected, We have millions of Christians in our churches who fail to see the importance of obedience to God in their daily lives. Not not obedience to God in order to achieve God's acceptance. Not for that reason. But obedience to God in our daily life matters. It matters to what you're experiencing in God. It's just a simple fact. Your experience of God when you are disobedient versus your experience of God when you are obedient are two different experiences. Though you are saved in the midst of both of them. Obedience matters. Look at this thought from Kevin DeYoung. Among conservative Christians, there's sometimes the mistaken notion that if we are truly gospel-centered, we won't talk about rules or imperatives or exhort Christians to moral exertion. To be sure, there is a rash of moralistic teaching out there, but sometimes we go to the other extreme and act as if the Bible shouldn't advise our morals at all. We're so eager not to confuse indicatives and imperatives that if we're not careful, we'll drop the imperatives altogether. We've been afraid of words like diligence, 
effort and obedience. We've downplayed verses that call us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling or command us to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit or warn against even a hint of immorality among the saints. There are dozens and dozens of verses in the New Testament that enjoin us in one way or another to be holy as God is holy. Right? When I get on the other side of the equal sign here and I am saved by the grace of God through faith, I am not now plunged into this passive life of inactivity. Let me just ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Did you receive by faith, just as Abraham did? Now listen, Paul is trying to fix their understanding of justification when he says that. He takes them back to the beginning for them to understand. Do you understand the basis of why you're in at all? Now if I follow Abraham's life, Abraham believed God in Genesis 15, it says, and he was reckoned as righteous. God gave him righteousness just because he received from God righteousness by faith. Now let me ask you this. Follow the rest of Abraham's life. Is he an inactive man? Is he passive in his faith? The man sets out on a quest. He leaves everything because he was looking for a city whose builder and architect was God. His passion was for this God. He picks up everything and goes to a land. He doesn't even know where he's going, but he goes by faith into a land of promise. He leaves all the wealth, all the community of his family and background and goes to a place he has no idea what's waiting for him there, but he's following God. Is this an inactive man? This is a man who experiences God because he walks by faith. Inactivity is not a good picture of the Christian life. Now, how do these verses help me to experience the fruit of the Spirit, right? We want, we want to tune in. We don't just want to hear about the fruit of the Spirit. We want to experience the fruit of the Spirit. Well, in these verses, there's some help here. Look in Galatians 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Remember, this is context here. And I know our, we've got our memory verse cards, and we've all memorized Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. We know our fruit of the Spirit. Did you know all this was surrounding it? That it fits into a larger discussion and argument. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Right? When you read the Bible, do these concepts get along with each other? When you read a verse like this, verse 13, for you were called to freedom. You're free. And then the apostle turns around in the next sentence and says, do not. You're free. Do not. Wait a minute, Paul. That doesn't sound like freedom. sounds like restriction. You just told me I'm free, and now you're telling me don't do something? What's up with that? Listen, I've said this before. You won't find, I can't guarantee this, but you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that you, you won't find in the Bible free, a discussion on freedom without a leash attached to it. Freedom, and then somewhere there's going to be a mention of warning, of carefulness. Right? Uh, 
grace that restrains us. It tells us to say no to things. It's, it requires us to abstain. That's the grace in the Bible. And it's still grace. It's still grace. It stops being grace if you turn it into achievement to gain God's acceptance. In that moment, it stops being grace. But if it's God telling you, hey, I've got a life for you, and you're going to live it and experience it. Don't do that and don't do this. Do that. Abstain from that. Walk this way. If your desire is to experience all that God has for you, you better heed the don't do, do this, stop that, start this. Don't heed it for the sake of gaining God getting on your side, though. Heed it because he is already on your side. And he has a life for you to experience that you may or may not be experiencing. Right here are some quick insights. I'll try and do these quick. Insights to help us experience fruit. Right, write these down, three of them, in these verses. One, fallen flesh is still active and assertive. Right, if you're going to adjust your dial and experience the fruit of the Spirit, you better recognize, one, fallen flesh is still active and assertive. Two, fallen works displace the experiencing of fruit. Fallen works, the works of the flesh, displace the experiencing of fruit. And third, fruit ripens in serving one another. Let me go through each of those quickly. Number one, fallen flesh is still active and assertive. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, did you, do you see contextually how we got to a discussion of flesh and spirit here? He just, he, just, he just introduced us to the idea of flesh. Don't give an opportunity to the flesh with your freedom. Now he's going to explain there's flesh and spirit in your life. I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Right? In my, in my house, we wear out a particular CD on a regular basis. It's a Switchfoot CD. How many of you guys are Switchfoot fans? All right, there's a bunch of y'all need to answer the altar call after service. <laughs> Become Switchfoot fans. There's a song on their latest CD called The War Within that describes this issue. I'm not going to read this like John Foreman. Otherwise, I'd have to kind of snarl it, you know. Yeah, it's in the fight begins. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's where the fight begins. Yeah, underneath the skin. Between these hopes and where we've been, every fight comes from the fight within right? Between these hopes, right? We have all these rich, hopeful promises awaiting us. God has made all these promises. We have a promised land. We have heaven. But between those hopes and where we've been, right, that's where we are. We are in between that address. And every fight going on in our life started from the fight within. If you fail to recognize that, God help your marriage, <laughs> God, help your relationships. 
Right, if you're thinking that all the fighting that's going on is because that, that dude won't get it right. Because she's just obnoxious. She's always been that way. Listen, every fight you're having, every piece of ground you're contending for began with the fight going on inside of you. The war between the flesh and the spirit taking place. Now listen, careful with these verses here. And I'm not going to go into this. It's just too big of a thing to unpack. Because there's a, there's a principle of having been crucified with Christ. But your flesh in these passages and elsewhere in Scripture has desires. The desires of your flesh are not dead. They are very noisy. As a matter of fact, you at sometimes might have a hard time telling when they're your flesh and when they're you. When they're really what you want. And in some way, because you're still in this flesh body, they kind of are what you want. Don't, don't, don't get weird here and put both feet in heaven. You got one foot in heaven. You got one foot on earth. You're still strapped into this body. This body craves and wants stuff for the wrong reasons. And sometimes I find that I'm wanting that really, really bad, right? This is in the Bible, Romans 7, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Right? I want to do what God wants me to do. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war? Within you, you got conflicting passions going on inside of you. First Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. I urge you to say no. Say no to the passions, the deep longings and cravings and desires of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. So there's a fight going on within. First Timothy chapter 6. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue, listen to this list, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, right? Fruit of the Spirit. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Listen, does does that sound like an inactive lifestyle? Does grace in those passages sound like passivity? You're just going to be kicking back. Or does it sound like strap on your weapons when you get up in the morning? Because you're going to war. You're going to war every day. And every fight you're going to fight, it's going to start with a fight within you. A fight that will not go away until you put off this body. This body of flesh is put off. When it is gone, then your flesh will have been fully crucified to the death. And you'll get a new body, and guess what? No conflict. I love the song we sang this morning. No more tears. No more sin. No more fight within. That's not this day, guys. One of the lines of that song says, we are the the kids of the in-between. We're in-between. We're not in that time yet. We're in a time right now where you're going to fight. You're going to fight every day. Right? Adjustment to receive. Number two. Fallen works displace the experience of the fruit of the Spirit. Fallen works, fleshly works, are going to displace the fruit of the Spirit. Now, that's the context here. Look in verse 18. 
If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is. So you get this immediate contrast. Here's two lists. right? And I think the point of the list is one is going to be served at the expense of the other. You grow the fruit of the Spirit, you experience love, you're going to quench the activity of the flesh. You grow the deeds of the flesh in your life, you're going to quench experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. All right, let me just, can I just sideswipe a political issue while I'm in the neighborhood here? Because I have been, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this article. For years, I've been waiting for this article. Right? I mean, there, there is within this passage sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. It covers a broad scope of the misuse of sexuality. God intended sexuality to be a blessing to man, to be used in a very specific and narrow way. One man with one woman in the context of marriage only for the rest of their lives. And you understand, apart from the death of a spouse, God never intended you to ever experience anything sexual outside of one other person. And that sound nuts today. That sound like, wow, what overly narrow thought. Well, now... Every form of sexual expression is, is somehow being promoted, tolerated. How many of y'all thought, if you're old enough, how many of you thought you'd live to see the day where the common news item was a battle discussion over homosexual marriages? I mean, look back when you were growing up. Would you have ever thought that was going to happen in your lifetime? All right, now, as soon as I saw the reasonings behind it, immediately my mind said, I can use those same arguments for a pedophile. Now, now stay with me. Don't get up and walk out because I know you say, you're comparing the two of these? I'm comparing the reasonings between the two. Right, immediately, years ago, when I heard the argument for why homosexuality should be defended and allowed, I just took the same ideas and said, well, that, that works for a pedophile too. And finally, here's the article. Good Worldwide Online Magazine. Is pedophilia a sexual orientation? Society has long struggled to find the best way to manage and rehabilitate sex offenders. Never has that been more obvious than earlier this month when Jerry Sandusky, a retired Penn State football coach, was arrested and charged with molesting boys for years while his colleagues ignored his actions. As America once again considers how to protect its children, a Canadian psychologist suggests a controversial new way to illuminate the problem. Dr. Vernon Quincy, Professor Emeritus in the Department of Psychology at Queen's University, testified before Canada's parliament in February that, listen, pedophilia should be considered a sexual orientation. Though you may think he's crazy, Quincy is not alone. A growing number of medical professionals share his view, and they think it may help society finally fashion a worthwhile response to people who prey on children. The magazine asks, first things first, what's the definition of pedophilia? I'll just give you part of his answer. Pedophilia, Mr. Quincy says, is a 
clinical diagnostic term referring to people who actually, listen, prefer prebubescent children to adults for sexual partners. Now, do you notice the careful use of the words here? Sexual orientation and preference. Magazine asks again, you're a member of a growing group of psychologists who say pedophilia should be considered a sexual orientation. Why? Quincy says, part of the definition of pedophilia is a person has a preference for a particular kind of partner. I won't read the long answer there, but the next question is interesting. Magazine says, how does one become a pedophile? Is it something that happens in the womb? Quincy says, the short answer is we don't know. There's been very little genetic work done and almost no work done on intrauterine effects. We do know that the brains of pedophiles are different than those of other men. <laughs> Sexual orientation, personal preference, and genetic contribution. That's the argument for homosexuality. That's why you can't hold a person responsible to behave differently. Their orientation from the womb genetically disposes them to a preference of homosexuality. Therefore, the laws must be created in order to protect that person's expression of their personhood. That's who they are, you understand. Well, that's who this guy is, apparently. Listen, I've made the same argument. I'll keep making the same argument. When the fall came and it blew up everything about humanity, I don't have any doubt that you might be able to extract some blood out of my veins and find genetically the fall shows up in my bloodstream. That maybe this guy's brain really is different. Just like the adulterer's brain really is different and the thief's brain really is different and the person prone to anger really is different. If I grab a piece of tissue off the side of your brain, I might discover that. Because the fall happened right at the outset of humanity and everything about us got affected. And then God turned around after all that happened and said, don't steal. Do not murder. Don't be angry with one another. A man and a woman together for life. God still said the same thing. So even if somehow this is genetic and it is a preference for the individual, the God of the universe still steps in and says, no, it's wrong. Right? So here you have these, this list here. Right? You, have, you have worship deeds in this list. You have affections toward things in life and people in life that interfere with your relationship with God. So you have a, have a long list here. But what I think is important is one list is going to be at the expense of the other. If in your life you are what the Bible calls indulging the flesh, I'm going to say fertilizing the flesh. You're feeding the appetites of the flesh. Then it's very likely then here this morning you're experiencing very little of the fruit of the Spirit. That's the juxtaposition here in the passage. Interesting, I thought of the situation we have that occurs here every early summer off the coast of of Louisiana. It's the, the... Gulf of Mexico dead zone. I remember this didn't happen years ago, but it began to happen more and more in the last several years. That during late spring, early summer, all these fish just start going belly up. Right? It was a mystery for a long time. People couldn't understand why are all these fish just dying? This huge swath in the Gulf of Mexico and all the fish are dying in it. 
they finally realized that in the spring rains, after everybody's fertilized their crops all throughout the Mississippi River Valley, Red River Valley, state of Louisiana, and all the rivers take all that rich nutrients and fertilized material and dump it into the rivers and then dump it into the Gulf of Mexico. It flows out into the Gulf of Mexico where it interacts with the natural algae that grows there. And the algae goes nuts. It's like algae on steroids. And it blooms and blooms and blooms and blooms. And then like algae does, it dies and it decomposes. And when it decomposes, it consumes oxygen. So all this dying algae eats up, it chokes all the fish. It smothers the fish. And that's kind of what you get when you live a life that's indulging the flesh. You indulge the, the flesh. You give the flesh what it wants. You feed the flesh. You fertilize that flesh. It's going to suck all the spiritual air out of your life. And next thing you know, Choking in the corner is joy. Peace is running for cover. Gasping for air is gentleness and patience in your life. Listen, they, they, they cannot coexist together. Right? Can you just travel there with me? I don't have to travel far. I can just travel back to yesterday for me. Travel back one day. To find, my wife is already laughing at me, to find how decomposing flesh works were suffocating joy for me, right? I won't go into details. Usually my stories involve people in the front row, so <laughs> it's not, not helpful for them. But... Um, there was an event yesterday that uh, my response to it was to become hurt, angry. You know, the little kid version is I pouted, you know. It's a grown man pouting, okay. Wasn't a pretty sight. But it was justifiable pouting, if you want to know. I, mean, I, I had been wronged after all. Uh, so I'm pouting, but I'm not just pouting for a moment. I, I'm... I've packed a lunch. I'm pouting all afternoon. <laughs> I'm pouting into the evening. The only problem was last night at about 9 o'clock, I was sitting down to pray over this message. How <laughs> I many of you know that was a problem? <laughs> it's like, wow, Keith, suffocating, aren't you? <laughs> Joy is gasping for air. There ain't been no joy in your life all day long. My wife actually came and asked me, what's your problem? <laughs> Just wearing this lack of joy in my life. Because, see, these, these hostile flesh things cannot coexist with joy. I, I, I can't sit around and feel sorry for myself and dwell on hurt and experience joy in God and patience. How about that? How about the fruit of the spirit of patience where people who maybe, maybe in my life could have some deficiency. Can you imagine? They might not do everything right. Oh my gosh, no one told me. 
So rather than, okay, you know what? If all of y'all do everything right, you will release dad into joy. So please, I know there's a lot of pressure on you, but all of my joy is built up in what you do or don't do. And peace, you know, you want me to have peace? Give me peace, will you? (laughs) But yet the fruit of the Spirit is that mysterious, I don't have a reason for peace, but yet I have peace. And I'm responding to an offense with patience. Allowing people to have the work of God go on in their life at a pace that's different than the pace that I wanted it to happen at. Right? Do you see in this passage, these two things, they, one kills the other. Because if I'm going to have joy, and I'm going to receive from God, I'm going to dial in here and receive joy from God, and peace from God, and patience from God, I, I, I don't get to pout anymore. Right? You ever seen a pouting, patient person, a pouting, joyful person, and it's like, what are you, schizophrenic? Well, what what are you? Are you pouting or are you joyful? You look joyful, but I think you're pouting. It's like, when you're joyful, you look joyful. You you sound joyful. You smell joyful. When you're pouting, you you just stink. You pout. All right, Matt, let me get you to come back up here. Listen, you, you can't be tuned into gratifying the flesh and receiving the fruit of the Spirit in your life. All right, hold, hold on to that, because I, I want to help us tune in. That's what I want to help us do. Like, Lord, what, what, what adjustments can I make to receive from your Holy Spirit? Your Spirit wants to impart to me love and joy and peace and patience. That God wants me to experience that. What, what, what adjustment, what dial movement can I make to make that more conducive in my life, right? I won't go into this last point, but the last one, number three, was fruit ripens in serving one another. Right? Remember what Paul said in verse 13? For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You know why a lot of times we don't experience the fruit of the Spirit? Because we don't put our lives in a place where the fruit can ripen. When you start serving others, when you get involved relationally in other people's lives, when you take on issues, walk with them, suffer with them, you start doing that, patience has an opportunity to grow. Love for another person, the kind of love you've received, has an opportunity to, to bloom and become big in your life. Joy of seeing the work of God take place in another person's life begins to affect you. Right, serving one another is critical. Right, so let me, let me ask us, right? We're going to move at this point from you guys listening to me. I want you to start listening to it's the Holy Spirit trying to, trying to communicate to you this morning. Let me just say this. How how dangerous, dangerous it is to your faith to not be receiving the the strength, the refreshing, the edification that God has built into experiencing fruit and experiencing gifts in your life. 
how dangerous it is to your faith. Isn't it amazing that we think that we can live and sustain the Christian life without experiencing joy and love and peace and faithfulness and self-control or the gifts of the Spirit either? That those things do something to our faith. They protect our faith. They build our faith. They encourage our faith. You extract those things from your faith, it's dangerous. You are living a dangerous Christian life. This is not an optional thing. The fruit of the Spirit's not like, well, hey, that just sounds like it benefits me. And if I don't get around to getting it, you know, that's okay. Well, you're either experiencing fruit or you're fertilizing flesh. One or the other is what's existing. All right, so how can we dial in? Let's stand up together and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Lord, thank you for your presence in our gathering. Thank you for your spirit indwelling us. Thank you for eagerness on your part to fill us with the spirit. Lord, this morning, I want to aim that filling in a particular address. Your great delight in giving to us the fruit of the spirit. What I pray for us this morning, God, what, what adjustment can we make that we might receive from you love and joy, peace, self-control? Just to be listening for the Spirit of God for, for you. Don't know that all these points needed to find you, but maybe one does. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Do you need to make an adjustment in the mindset that you have, that you approach this life as though it's war? There is a war. The context of the fruit of the Spirit is set on a battlefield, a contention between the flesh and the Spirit. If you're here this morning and you thought the fruit of the Spirit would be automatic, you are misinformed. If you are disappointed today because life has been frustrating, you're not experiencing love, you're not experiencing joy, you're not experiencing peace, and you just thought that was just the default setting for the Christian life. You almost want your money back. It's like, God, why, why am I not experiencing that? Okay, God... God didn't change the rules. He just didn't read all the material. You are not yet in heaven. You are on a war field. And every battle you're fighting on the outside began with the fight within. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. You have got to accept that. I can't change it for you. It's just the truth. Maybe part of you receiving the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit is for you to adjust your mindset. Stop complaining because there's a war. It doesn't change the war. Accept the war. Maybe some of you are here 
you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit because you are actively fertilizing the flesh. Oh, may God's grace bring conviction and light to you right now. But you're here and you don't experience or taste fruit of love in your life. Listen, is there the fleshly practice of sexual immorality going on in your life? You're morally involved, stirring up lust, practicing selfish sexual activity. Maybe in your mind, acceptable. Listen to the God of glory, it's not acceptable. The God of glory said you could have one person to have sex with for the rest of your life and you'd be just fine. And until you're married, he said you'd be just fine to wait. You believe God said that? Because he really does say that. If you're practicing sex different than that, then is it perhaps explainable why the oxygen level is so low and you're experiencing of the love of God? Joy is being choked. Are you experiencing these fleshly fruits towards other people in your life? There's strife, enmity. Jealousy, you're paying attention to somebody else. Oh, what that person has and what they do and how you compare. You're hostile in your heart. Are you unforgiving towards someone else? Listen, that thing is choking. It's choking the air out of the joy in your life. You, you can feel justified all you want. You can pout for the next 10 years. But you're going to gasp to experience the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're choking the fruit of the Spirit. You gotta adjust that. You gotta do it right now. You're here this morning and there's just the indulgence of idolatry in your heart. You're looking to something or some person to make you happy. That's idolatry. Anything that you depend upon for your good, your happiness in life, has pushed God out of the way. You're not going to experience the fruit of the Spirit if you've got an idol in your life that you're looking to. God wants you to feed the Spirit this morning. Make an adjustment here this morning. We're going to give some room for folks just to pray and receive from God as we have every morning. So the Lord's just dealing with it. I just want you to come get with God. Come find a place up here. Lord, help us. God, draw us this morning. God, help us to be real with you this morning. But I pray in particular for folks here that have been indulging the flesh and maybe feeling justified. Maybe they're pouting like I was. Justifiably feel bothered by something that someone else has done or let them down or Lord your desire is that we wouldn't be gasping for joy gasping to experience love gasping to experience peace or maybe there are some here that are indulging like drunkenness and orgies and gluttony God, it's choking the experience of self-control in their lives. Lord, this morning, this morning, help us receive from you. 
but you want us to receive the fruit of the Spirit. God, help us receive. Help us turn the dial. Lord, help us move from where we are. We want to dial into receiving the fruit of the Spirit. So if God's just dealing in your heart right now, come find a place. Come, come make it solid right now in your life. Listen, don't, don't keep living in a dry place. If you're cool with the fruit of the Spirit that you got and you're just full of the fruit of the Spirit and you're good, great. But if you're standing here saying, you know, I, I don't know that I've experienced love. I don't know if I feel like God really loves me. My joy is weak. I, I am not a joyful person. People around me would not say I'm a joyful person. I'm not peaceful. I'm anxious. Listen, if it's not good enough to know a list, don't just memorize Galatians 5 verse 22. Experience it. And if you're not experiencing it, get active. Don't sit there and be passive. If you're not experiencing God, I'm not asking you to add works to your salvation. I'm asking you to do what God says do. Listen, I don't, I don't want to be a church that's okay with less. God had intended more. The fruit of the Spirit is an abundant joy, an abundant blessing from God. I'm not okay with less. You okay with less? You're all with that just being a Bible verse? But you can't remember taking a big, juicy bite of the love of God, experiencing joy that just seeped out of your life that other people tasted and saw, received from you. Peace that just floods your soul. It's not waiting on things to change. It's not waiting on people to do the right thing. It's not waiting for a check to come. It's just a strange deposit by the Holy Spirit. All right, we're going to move on. Anybody else need to come? Just come and pray.